Hello and welcome to the first edition of the Sustainable Food and Drink podcast, a series that asks how food and agriculture can achieve impact against the UN's sustainable development goals. This podcast is brought to you by Lumen Intelligence Sustainability, a subscription insights service for industry, governments and NGOs that explores how to achieve closer alignment with the SDGs with a focus on cocoa, coffee, tea and palm. I'm Oliver Nyberg, a market analyst for Luminous Sustainability and former editor of food and drink industry publications such as Confectionery News. The first edition of our podcast hones in on cocoa in Ecuador. Ecuador is the fourth largest cocoa grower worldwide, but is a minnow compared to Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana, where 60% of global production grows. Ecuador's cocoa exports almost tripled between 2010 and 2017, thanks to government and local investment in the sector, but mainly due to the introduction of high-yielding cocoa variety known as CCN51. CCN51, to some, has heralded a new era for Ecuadorian cocoa, and for others, diminished the country's reputation as the world's main fine-flavour cocoa destination. Now, Ecuador faces a new threat, from cadmium, a carcinogenic heavy metal scientists have identified as in high concentrations in Latin American cocoa, which could surpass new limits on cadmium in chocolate, which entered force in the EU this year. Late last year, I was in Ecuador where I met with Francisco Miranda, president of Ani Cacao, the National Federation of Cocoa Exporters of Ecuador. We discussed the future of sustainability in Ecuador against the backdrop of cadmium and the CCN51 debate. I started by asking what he made of the EU's new cadmium limits and how they may impact farmers. I completely believe that it was a 100% political decision masked behind the food safety issue. Uh, the original regulation tried to regulate uh, cacao uh, or cacao beans. Uh, quickly, they shifted over to chocolate. And what was the effect of it? Uh, when you are exporting cacao beans and you have a high cadmium level, you can mix it with low cadmium, low-level cadmium beans from different origins, and uh, have perfect uh, market uh, cacao or chocolate. When you are doing the efforts or the inspections on chocolate or processed products, you cannot mix already final products uh, to reduce their cadmium efforts. So essentially what's, ended, what's gonna end up happening is uh, all the value-added efforts being done by our country uh, as far as pressing beans or transforming them into chocolate, which is where we compete against the European industry, will be lost and we will go back to being just a raw material provider for our consumers. But are you saying there's no there's no human risk in finished chocolate using, for example, you know, 100% Ecuadorian beans from a, an at-risk, you know, potential region like Esmeraldas, for example. Are you saying that there's no, you know, risk? Well, I'm not saying it. Uh, the World Health Organization is. Uh, the Alimentary Codex on the writing said that the amount of cadmium present in the highest influence of cadmium in chocolate currently available has no effect on the human health at all. And they have written about it uh, consecutively, uh, saying that it has no effect, proven effect or any effect at all 
uh, on the average cadmium intake of an individual uh, through chocolate, whereas the amount of cadmium being ingested on a, an individual by potatoes or uh, meat byproducts or, or a lot of others have a significantly higher cadmium input into a dietary consumption than chocolate does. So essentially, or answering your question, no, this is not a, a, a protection of uh, individuals on a health risk basis. This is just a commercial uh, imposition masked under something different. And even the studies made by HECFA and the European Union standards or health standard organizations have been disputed by the World Health Organization uh, saying that they were overstating their facts and they have done so several occasions. And we're just stuck in the middle having to to live behind our, our production for that. So what will it mean in, in practice um, for sourcing regions in, in Ecuador? Do you expect some at-risk regions to shift to lower-risk regions or what can be do to, done to mitigate the risk in those, those high cadmium regions? Uh, we have been participant of a lot of cadmium forums internally and uh, what the consumer and the European countries need to understand is there's no cadmium solution. The same that the solution to the cadmium levels on wheat in Germany in the 90s was to change the regulation. That's the only solution for the cadmium problem in Ecuador, Colombia, and Peru. Uh, you cannot deny the plant a source of nutrition that's currently present on the ground. You cannot remove it. What you can do is inhibit its extraction. But enable to do so, since you are not eliminating it and you are not taking it away, you have to have a permanent uh, blockage of nutrition to eliminate the intake of cadmium from the soil. And as soon as pH levels shift in the ground, were it for uh, a strong rainy season or a cold or, or a cold wave coming into the ground, pH levels will shift and absorption of cadmium will happen again. So whatever solution being currently offered is at best a short-term solution which will uh, spike cadmium intake eventually. So how resilient do you think Ecuador will be once those regulations come in? Do you expect cocoa exports in Ecuador to to decline, or how do you expect the market will respond? None whatsoever. Uh, Ecuadorian cacao will, exports will not decline by one ton. What will decline is the price. What will decline is the value added. What will decline are the premiums of bean to bar uh, manufacturers that want specific uh, cacao from one area, such as Esmeraldas or whatnot. Uh, we're not losing overall production what we're losing are overall premiums and where those premiums were pinpoint directed to. When you talk about uh, cacao, uh, chocolate manufacturers such as Oja Verde or Pacari, they have very concerned efforts to improve the livelihood of a community and they're not talking about world or countrywide but a specific community where they source their beans from and for them to have to move away from that community into a different one because of cabin regulations 
is unfair to those farmers because they are not the cause of this problem. This is just something that incidentally fell on their laps. And what's going on to, in Ecuador to bring more value to the, to the producer, to the farmer? Essentially, uh, a lot of uh, very hard-working uh, sustainability efforts have been implemented into our country. Uh, a lot of certification efforts have come about. Uh, as a country, we're still waiting for the ISOCEN uh, sustainability standards to come into effect that will further modify uh, the perception of sustainability. As a country, we have basic standards of agriculture and uh, environment and uh, people skills that are significantly above what the current sustainability effort standards are. So we start further ahead in the sustainability race than what most of the West African countries have. To what extent though do, do you see set future sales to large companies? Because a lot of the large companies will have their own cocoa programs, the Nestle Cocoa Plan, Mondelez Cocoa Life and so on. And they've built up a network of farmers, typically in, in West Africa, and they're committed to those groups of farmers. They're, they'll be you know, conducting GPS tracking now and collecting data on them and so on. So they're very much embedded. So does that? how much of a problem does that opposed to Ecuadorian exports of cocoa to those kind of companies? Well, I heard a phrase uh, during one of the later ISOCEN meetings on the sustainability standard that said that most of the industry's efforts were focused in Africa because efforts in Latin America, they call them low, low-hanging fruit. They were easy to pick, ready and available for the industry, uh, and that's why a lot of the efforts have been going towards West Africa that has that massive cacao production. But uh, as a region, we feel neglected. As a region, we feel that our standards are so significantly above that we can help solve the sustainability goals set forth by the industry for what is a very short-term period that they have. We have very minimal efforts to come in into our country and same with Peru and Colombia to accomplish much higher goals than what they are in West Africa. And uh, I'm not saying that uh, the farmers over there don't need the protection of the sustainability programs that are working there. Uh, what I'm saying is we need them as well. Our farmers here need the premiums, need the controls, need all these ONGs that are spending millions of dollars in West Africa to have very minimal results where you can spend hundreds of dollars in Latin America and have significantly improved, uh, consistent, long-term efforts into a community that needs them. But if companies like Nestle, Mondelez, Mars and so on source more from Latin America, source more from, from Ecuador. To what extent does that risk creating a humanitarian crisis in, in West Africa where you know, farmers whose livelihoods depend on, depend on cocoa would be, would be stripped away from them? How do you sort of counteract that? Well, I'm not asking for them to stop uh, 
doing their efforts over there, what I'm asking is to leave an even playing field. Uh, when the efforts are taxing our crops through non-commercial uh, regulations, so, such as each grass uh, in the US or cadmium in the European Union, uh, that's not leaving an even playing field. They are masking their protection of their former colonies, in the case of Europe, and in the case of uh, the United States, of cheaper cacao coming out of, of, of West Africa by these non-commercial uh, taxes that are being imposed in the production of many Latin American countries. So we're not asking for them to leave those efforts that they have over there aside. Uh, I, last week I was in, in Ivory Coast visiting and I uh, got a first chance look at, at what poor infrastructure, but marvelous land that they have. That's, that's amazing how productive it can be, yet it's not. Uh, and uh, the focus of sustainability efforts for a long time was to improve yields for farmers. They were successful in doing so to the point that we have an excess production worldwide in cacao and prices are half what they were two years ago. So now they're focusing their efforts in replacing crops with farm, uh, with, uh, with uh, food crops and, 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 and mixing their, their plantations and whatnot. Again, that's not necessarily a good focus. Currently, as I understand it, in Ecuador, there is more CCM than fine flavor. How do you expect that balance to develop in, in future? The premium paid for fine flavor cocoa, or Arriba cocoa as we like to call it, uh, so far isn't too high, except for very uh, specific uh, markets or chocolatiers that pay a significant premium. Most of the market pays uh, bulk prices. Uh, even though the great quality of Ecuadorian cacao uh, genetically exists, uh, a lot of uh, the flavor, final flavor characteristics, in my opinion, come from uh, post-harvest procedures. Uh, and uh, significant efforts have been made both in Nacional or Arriba flavor beans and CCN to improve their consistency and flavors. Uh, on that end, uh, CCN markets have been being developed for the last 10 years to accomplish great flavor goals and uh, introductions to some of the better markets in the world. The strategy of the government on one against the other is to let free market flow. Uh, farmers will decide what is uh, best available for them. Uh, there has been constant development of new varieties. The EET uh, family of cacao varieties have had significant improvements in both yields and flavor. Uh, but the farmers are wary. The farmers need to make sure that what is a very long-term investment for them uh, is, uh, is assured to be a good thing, and uh, right now CCN uh, provides that assurance to them. CCN also opinions are quite divided on, on, on CCN, and as the 
developed markets, the developed chocolate markets moves um, to more premium products. Is the quality there with CCM 51, do you believe? Uh, I definitely believe so. Uh, as a country, we have developed some of the more difficult markets uh, around CCM 51. We have been able to sell significant amount of cocoa to very good European chocolatiers and uh, Japanese chocolatiers uh, out of CCN 51 products. A lot of our better fine favored chocolates coming out of Ecuador are coming out of CCN 51, uh, which has a problem in its name as a whole, which sounds like a bacterial disease or, or some sort of weird influenza coming out of a third country, third world country, but essentially uh, it's a hybridization of uh, national and uh, Trinitarian varieties that have great yielding, uh, that has a lot of uh, outside pulp, which has made it so that traditional wooden box fermentation techniques are not compatible with it. So a lot of the bad reputation on flavor behind it uh, went by trying to reproduce traditional fermentation techniques into what was a different uh, genetic variety. Uh, when you apply modern fermentation techniques with a technique called uh, depulping or removal of excess water before fermentation starts, you end up with very nice, very aromatic flavors that are not similar to nationals, but on their own are very accepted and uh, very recognized by the market. How, how do you overturn that perception then? Because you, 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 you can implement these um, fermentation practices to improve the quality and try to bring that, bring, bring that to buyers, but has the damage already been done to CCN's reputation? What can you do to overturn that? Well, you have to remember that the market is separated into basic trends. The fine flavor market uh, is on its own a very selective, very long memory market that wants our traditional beans. Uh, but uh, the newer generation of chocolatiers are looking forward working with uh, different beans. They are not looking for tradition. They are not even aware of what was a traditional Arriba flavor. And for them, this new fermentation and precision agriculture and fermentation techniques have opened a brand new door on different flavors that are more similar to Madagascar or Tanzania than what they are of uh, a traditional Ecuadorian flavor profile. That's the end of our podcast. If you're listening on our news sites, please get in touch with your thoughts using the comments box at the end of the page. Mr. Miranda called cadmium a political issue masked behind a food safety issue. And just to say that we have contacted the European Commission about its perspective and will include its comments in the text article accompanying this podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sustainable Food and Drink podcast. This series is brought to you by Lumen Intelligence, an insight service on cocoa, coffee and tea sustainability. The music credit is for Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you and goodbye.